The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome inside the QB Sco Show, episode 30. This is Benjamin Solak, decidedly not Michael Kiss, thank goodness. But Mike is on vacation this week. Uh, Well-deserved for all the work that he puts in here for this wonderful feed, which of course is brought to you by the fine folks at Bleeding Green Nation and SB Nation. As it is the QB Sco Show, though I am a replacement, I am joined by QB1 in your hearts and my hearts and all of our hearts on these here Twitter streets. It is Mark Schofield. Mark I do not have nearly the historical clout that Michael Kiss does, but I will do my best to keep pace with you. How are you doing today, friend? I'm doing fantastic, Ben. It's a joy to be with you. It's nice to hear your dulcet tones as opposed to the the sounds of Mr. Michael J. Kiss um, coming through the, the headphones. Putting me as dulcet relevant, relevant to Mike is absolutely sucking up, and I don't believe it for a second. There's nothing worse. Like, I already have a pretty nasally voice to begin with, and I was fine with that. Until I had to do a podcast with Mike all the time. And then yeah. I really just sound like I'm talking through a trombone. It's not good at all. <laughs> Look, man, we, we all have the things we get to work through in life. and But it is a pleasure to be with you, Ben. And as you did mention, it's time for the historical reference. And last week on episode 29, we had our first historical reference revisited. We had a request from mm-hmm. a listener, vinegar-based hot sauce at vinegar-based HO, the number one on Twitter, asked us to follow up on Pope Gregory and his penchant for giving some odd gifts, such as the gifts that he gave to the Visigoths in Spain. Today is another, our first actual full-on gentle listener request. This comes to us from Damien 4 Prez, that's D-A-M-A-N-I-4, the number 4, P-R-E-Z on Twitter. Would love to hear some history about the division between Ireland and Northern Ireland and why the loyalists to the crown were so prominent in the North. Now, it's a fantastic question, and I'd love to spend the next three hours talking about this conflict, this violent conflict. And to paraphrase John Oliver for a second... Is there anything more British than calling like a centuries-long violent clash between regions, between peoples that has led to, by some estimates, casualties of about 50,000 as the Troubles? I'm not so sure that there's anything more British than that. But be that as it were, let's talk about the Troubles for a second. And, and to the Damati's question here, you know, why were there so many loyalists in Northern Ireland? And part of that has to deal with the religious underpinnings and undertones to this conflict because this again it dates back to the 1600s and when you had people settling in northern ireland a lot of them were protestants coming over from scotland coming over from england and that set up centuries of strife between the protestant settlers as well as the catholics 
who were also in that region. And a lot of these Protestants, obviously coming from that region, they were remaining loyal to England. And it's deeper than just all different religions. There's like a segregation aspect to this because I, re I pulled up an article from the International Journal on World Peace written by Paul Madam, Ronald Wells, and Desmond McForan, talking about the contribution of religion to the conflict in Northern Ireland. And they point out that it's not just that they live amongst each other, they go to different schools, they're basically segregated by religion. And so it just creates this massive separation between these people. And that has been an underpinning of this entire conflict dating back, like I said, to the 1600s. We could spend hours on it. This is technically a football show, so we won't go deeper than that. But religious undertones are a big part of why people will remain loyal to England in Northern Ireland. I just, uh, my, my main takeaway is that your very slight Irish burr, your Boston, New England accent yeah. was becoming more and more pronounced the more and more we talked about people settling in Ireland. Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of just fit well, right? I really right, sort of lead of, of in your ancestors to the ancestry out. there. And, it, you know, being a guy from the Boston area with the Boston accent and actually having, you know, some English ties on my father's side, this, this was a fun one to sort of lead into. But, you know, there, there's obviously a, a ton that you could read about this. You know, I learned a little bit about you know, the, the history of this conflict and getting ready for this show. So definitely check that out. And Damani, that's Damani for Prez. Please give him a follow on Twitter. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for the shout out. Thanks for the request to all the gentle listeners. If you have something you'd like to hear discussed as a historical reference, please do let us know. Yeah. And make sure you submit it on a day where Mike will be on the podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, especially if it's going to be about like Greece or Rome, right. make sure Mike's here because that is out of my league. Yeah, and listen, if you get further east into the uh, cold, harsh winters of Russia, maybe then I can come in and actually, you know, keep pace. But at the five minute and three second mark, I think is where we'll be, or that's actually on this recording, so we'll probably be even later, we transition to quarterback talk. Mark, the biggest quarterback news of the week, unquestionably, is the retirement of Andrew Luck, uh, 2013, 2012, excuse me. I literally had a massive tweet about this class. Yeah, it was the 2012 class, right? 2012 class, yes. I'm like 85% sure. But then like I said it out loud and it sounded wrong and I slightly panicked. The 2012 NFL draft class, Andrew Luck, first overall pick out of Stanford, a four-time Pro Bowler for the Indianapolis Colts, decides to hang up the cleats and hang up the helmet at the ripe young age of 30, of course, Andrew Luck lost most of the 2017 season to a shoulder injury that had lingered over uh, the course of a couple of years and seemed to uh, be ready to lose significant time in 2019 to an angle injury, apparently brought on by a bone spur that he's had for, again, you know, multiple years. Luck, during his press conference in which he discussed his decision to retirement, cited uh, the mental strain of all this recovery and all, all this pressure, this work to come back from injury when he just felt like his body was no longer cooperating. The love of the game had evaporated and and overall it wasn't he wasn't the same Andrew Luck and he wasn't going to be the same Andrew Luck of course this retirement comes about two weeks before the opening kickoff of week one Luck unlikely to play at that time but the response from Colts fans as was well documented was one of frustration given the fact that Luck who was a big selling point to free agents who was the the, the lead horse upon which their Super Bowl hopes were tethered now removed from the picture the Colts suddenly go from the fifth best Super Bowl odds to Vegas to more likely to get a top five pick when we talk about quarterbacks in the league, with we're talking about that one position where it really seems like guys 35 plus, 38 plus, Rivers, Breeze, Brady, Manning, not really Manning, can just play 
you know, for long yeah. and long periods of times. This is a, a position of longevity. So to see a quarterback retire young, obviously a little bit jarring. When you look at the Andrew Luck situation and the decisions that he had to make in order to leave the league early, what does this tell you about, you know, the state uh, of the pressure potentially on young quarterbacks? What does this tell you about how the situation with Andrew Luck was handled that we got to such a unique event in the, in the lifespan of quarterbacks in the, in the 21st century? Yeah, it's a fascinating situation, Ben, and you teed it up incredibly well there. And I think there are like dual tracks we can look at. There's sort of the micro in the sense of what does this mean for the Colts? What does this mean sort of for football, the AFC? And there's like the sort of macro. And it's interesting we're recording this on a day where Rob Gronkowski announced sort of his next chapter. He's going into CBD because that's what helped him recover from a hit that he took in the Super Bowl. It just looked like a regular tackle. He got a quad injury and had to get treatment where he could only see for like 20 minutes a night. They had to drain blood from it. We had the Rich mm-hmm. Ornberger thread where he was talking about what he went through to play this game. So there's also this macro side of like what these guys put themselves through just to get back to the field. The rehab process can be difficult despite what some consider it is. And so on the micro level, I, I think what this sort of tells us is that like, look, the, the Colts have had a this sort of injury history with luck. The way they handled that shoulder injury was odd. It seemed like we never truly got the full story. That lingered for a long time. It seemed like the same thing was happening again with his calf. And then it obviously leads to his retirement. I know we're going to talk about Jacoby Brissett, but sort of on the micro level, yeah. I mean, there's obviously a change in expectations for the Indianapolis Colts. But on the bigger picture, this game exacts a toll. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm reading right now from Ryan O'Callaghan's book that's going to come out shortly. Former Patriot, former former Kansas City Chief, um, who after he retired came out as gay. But in the parts, the prologue to this book, for example, he's talking about how he's building a house with a couple of other people, Dustin Colquitt among them, and they leave, leaving him alone. And he's, it's in the book and stuck with me already. I'm not building a house. I'm building a crypt in the sense that he was going to commit suicide in this place that he was building. And that's what he was doing. This game exacts such a toll on you. And when you're talking about you can play football for 5, 10, 15 years, yeah, but most guys play it for three, and you've got to have a life after that. You've got to be able to live that life. And mm-hmm. so for Andrew Luck, his decision was difficult because you've given up something that you love to do, but you have to live the next 40, 50, 60 years of your life. You know, I'm one of the ones that sort of applauds him for it because walking away from the game is hard. It was hard when I had to do it just from Division three. Couldn't imagine walking away from an NFL career. Sure. But the the stresses of playing this position, the stresses of having that, because he probably knew, Ben, that when I decide to hand it up, there's going to be outrage. There are people that are going to be mad. He probably, in some sense, expected the backlash, the booing, the burning of the jerseys, the people calling to cancel their season tickets. But at the end of the day, Andrew Luck has to look in the mirror and accept that I will be able to live the rest of my life. I will be able to be there for my family. Those are the people that he's going to be responsible to and and answer to in a sense. And so I applaud him for making that decision. It could not have been easy. You could tell he struggled with it, but that's where I'm at. I mean, what about you? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think if we were, and this is a dangerous game to play because NFL jobs, being a football player, are not equivalent to regular jobs. And something that we have to remember in situations like contract negotiations, holdouts, it's something that gets discussed a lot in terms of of, of, of peaceful protest for social injustice. But if we were to equate these two ideas, again, a tricky thing, you know, if, if the average person 
was working a job in which they felt like their physical health and their mental health, their filial health, their, you know, their, their future longevity were all in jeopardy. The recommendation from most people who loved them and, and, and from the public at, at large would very likely be, well, get out of the job. Life isn't work. You know what I mean? You, you, know, you should be encouraged to, to, to step away from something that you feel like is draining you and step into something that, that you feel like you know uh, gives you love and gives you life. Of course, in Luck's situation... He doesn't have to step away into a new job because of the amount of money he made playing football, so he can just retire, right? Which retirement at thirty is just like such a weird uh, paradigm. It's tough for us us to get our heads around, but he has that ability to do that. So in that framework, this is this is a not only a reasonable decision; it's a familiar one. It's one that like you know I, we've all had. I think people in our lives that we would recommend this to, or we've seen make this choice to change career paths at a at a later time than than is typically accepted because of the way that this the the, the career has has worn them down what what interests me in terms of you know the the response especially when it comes to the booing from indianapolis colts fans is i think that the booing is entirely like legible like i understand the logic of it 100 you know and i don't i'm not surprised that a crowd reacted that way crowds tend right. to react very explosively and it takes four or five people to start and everybody else just kind of gets on the wagon you know you boo because you feel as if you know your team of which you are a fan the indianapolis colts is now worse because of the decision a person made. And that's why you boo referees when they make a bad call. And that's why you boo coaches when they make cowardly decisions. And apparently it's why you boo Andrew Luck when he chooses to retire. However, what I think needs to be contextualized is that unlike oftentimes the referees and unlike oftentimes the coaches in those, you know, one small decisions, Luck has now for the second time gone through like a, a long and physically painful process of trying to return back from injury for the sake of the team and right. so like i think it's important like it's not like things got hard for luck and he retired things got hard for luck and he tried to come back and then he was healthy and then he wasn't and things got hard again and then he tried to come back a second time like let, let's not act like the ankle injury happened and luck was like oh shoot i'm injured again it's done ankle injury started happening in march it is august we went five six months yeah. yeah, five months. We went five months in terms of, uh, of MRIs and calf strains and testing and trying to figure out what this is and getting on the practice field and getting back off of the practice field. You know, this isn't uh, this didn't happen overnight. And so I think that that there's an important note to be made that that this retirement decision didn't happen last week. It started in like 2017. You can even say 2016 when the shoulder started first becoming an issue, which was the first injury that really put luck through a grueling rehab process. And that duration is important because it speaks to how much he gave before he finally had to say you know this is this is not gonna uh, i'm not gonna be able to do this to sort of build off that ben those were like the big injuries i mean let's not forget there's like the day-to-day wear and tear that you're putting yourself through you know the lacerated kidney where he was urinating blood like it's not like this guy had like two injuries and he's like look this is the second one i'm uh, i'm done You know, I think it's even deeper than how you outlined it, which is a fantastic way to put it. The lifetime that he gave to this sport and the toll that it exists, because look at the way he played the game. You know, he wasn't one of these guys that was going to throw it away, turtle in the pocket or anything like that. He took some serious hits. He even delivered them. I mean, you saw that interception he threw when he was at Stanford, when he like went down the field and flattened the guy that fumbled. Like, he played the game in a physical way. It's going to exact a toll on him. Similar to Rob Gronkowski, who also played in a very physical manner. You are going to be banned up. And yes, there are the big time injuries that people remember, but there's just the day-to-day stuff that that wears on you as well. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we're pretty much in agreement. Like he made the right decision for himself. And in the end, that's what really matters. Not right. just in football, but in life. 
as we transition to the kind of the next discussion here, I don't want to say like, oh, remembering Andrew Luck, because Andrew Luck is still around. But right. career of Andrew Luck is over. He's not going to be playing football. He's not going to be playing quarterback. Luck probably no longer could be categorized as like, you know, a young quarterback you want to build around. Like, I guess like, you know, like, like I spoke of earlier, quarterback's kind of a longer position. So a healthy Luck, you know, you expect maybe another 10 years. But Luck wasn't exactly like a young dude. He was in late 20s, approaching 30. Where was he? At his height, like this was a highly effective quarterback in 2018. At, at his peak where he was, you know, if we're wiping injury off the slate, when I think of luck, I think of top seven, top eight quarterback in the league. You know, I think of, of you know, a in, in a league right now that's got a lot of really good 30 plus guys and a lot of really good promising 25 guys and not a lot of people in the middle. Luck was hugely valuable in this league. And what he brought as a quarterback position, I guess another way you could kind of frame this in saying, how much better did Luck make the Colts than just like a replacement level quarterback? Not even Jacoby Brissett, who's below a replacement level quarterback. Just how good was Luck in this league at that last peak that he was experiencing before he finally said, I can't do it anymore? Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you sort of look at that elite tier of passers, you have like four or five guys in that list, whether it's, you know, Brady or Breeze, whatever. At his peak, he was like kicking in the door to join that crew. Like he was that top of that second tier and like you could make a case that if he had another couple of injury-free seasons, he was going to be in that mix of passers. And when you watched him, he was teaching tape at the quarterback position. Yeah. Like you you see the way he handled the pocket. You see the way he would do the little things. Like it was like, look, if you're a high school coach and you want to teach somebody how to play the position, you would put some Andrew Luck tape on whatever you were cutting up. And so I think he was going to join that elite tier. And so there's that aspect that it's a shame we're going to miss out on what he could have been. But at the same time, I think that's where he was. Obviously, with the injuries and stuff, he sort of slid back a bit. Last year, you know, before they sort of figured out they were doing offensively, you did still have some questions, some lingering questions about the shoulder. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because it does seem like, again, we're seeing an organization, you know, struggle to build the best situation for their young quarterback and maximize his potential. And there's a chance we're seeing it play out in Houston right before our very eyes. And I don't want to see that happen again, not to our son, Deshaun. Absolutely. And it's funny, like I, I very frequently think of Luck as the player that we, you know, like very, like he was on the Carson Wentz spectrum, I kind of like to say, you know, we talk about quarterbacks, you can kind of like put guys into buckets. And he was yep. on the Carson Wentz spectrum. Like if Spectrum, if not Spectrum, if Wentz ended up looking like Luck, you know, again, we're kind of wiping injury off, off the table here a little bit from, from a play style perspective, from the ability to extend plays, uh, from from the physicality and the effectiveness as a runner and, and withstanding inside of the pocket. And then from a distributing the ball to the intermediate and deep areas of the field, if Wentz looked like luck four years down the road, that would have been a big win. Wentz would have been, yeah. developed the way we would have hoped and, and that would have been expected and that would have made sense. So kind of that Roethlisberger, Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, Carson Wentz, there's some overlap in those Venn diagrams. And so, you know, looking at how Luck was very quickly successful under Frank Reich, running a, you know, a marriage of West Coast and spread ideas the way that Wentz was under Frank Reich when he was here in 2017, wasn't a huge surprise. Luck, you know, there's been some talk in Eagles sports radio and, and on Twitter about, oh, what's the chance that Wentz ends up like Luck? And the framework for that is you know, multiple injuries and it wears down in his career and he retires young and he's never healthy again. But also, you know, there's an, an underlying thing there of Wentz could very much end up like Luck when we saw Luck healthy and when we saw Luck making Pro Bowls and when we saw him, you know, uh, 
uh, in 2018, like I said, back from the shoulder injury, like Luck looked really, really healthy that last year. It's easy to forget now that we've, you know, seen him retire. But there were two paths for Luck, and there's kind of two very similar paths for Wentz in terms of if they end up, you know, the same player and Wentz ends up injured, he ends up, uh, you know, retiring early, then the Eagles will find themselves in the same spot as the Colts, which is a very tough spot right now. But then there's also the other path, which is, you know, if Wentz returns fully from injury, maybe adjust the play style slightly to protect himself a little bit more, he could end up having the career that Andrew Luck always potentially could have had. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it. And obviously, that's what Eagles fans are hoping for. And what's interesting, like you said, the marriage between the offenses and what Luck was asked to do last year and looking at what the Eagles have done over the past couple of seasons, what they expect to do this year. I think that's going to be huge for Carson Wentz's development because, again, it's going to allow him provided he gets the ball out of his hands quickly, provided that he starts to take care of himself better, the ability to extend his career so he looks more like the Andrew Luck we saw more, hoping to see more of, rather than the Andrew Luck we see him walking away from the game right now. All right. So now let's let's discuss who has stepped into the starting role uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. That is Jacoby Brissett, an NC State product, originally drafted by the Patriots, who then was traded to the Indianapolis Colts, played significantly uh, 15 games in 2017 during uh, Luck's first uh, lost season for injury. Of course, went 4-11 and at that time, completion percentage around 59%, net yards per attempt below 7, uh, I believe it was, what, 13-7 th- uh, touchdown-to-interception ratio as well. Brissett is a, has a, a faction of film Twitter that likes him. I would say I'm kind of on the cusp of that maybe i'm on the fringe i wouldn't call myself really a flag bearer but i'm there uh statistically it wasn't strong win loss it wasn't strong but from what you've seen of Brissett, i don't know if you were if you were doing uh scouting work when he came out of college and when he was uh in, in in the 2016 yeah 2013 didn't sound right i don't know why i'm locked on 2013 right now but apparently i am uh when he came out and then to uh to now what you've seen over jacoby Brissett across the course of his young career what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? How might the offense adjust to what we're going to see from Bissett now that we know he's the starter? How good can this Colts offense, which has retooled, which has really improved the offensive line? Let's not forget when Brissett played for that 2017 team, it was not a good roster. In 2019, you could argue it was a better roster on the offensive side of the ball for sure. So what can the Colts expect from Brissett and what can they do with Brissett? I mean, I, I think what you're getting in Jacoby Brissett is a quarterback that similar to Luck, strong and poised and composed for the most part in the pocket. He's very willing to sort of hand in there, take a hit. That's one of the things that I really liked about him coming out of NC State. What I've seen from him from his days at NC State through to today is the ability to sort of operate in that quick sort of West Coast-based passing game. That was part of the reason I think the Patriots liked him because a lot of their offense is sort of rooted in West Coast concepts, even though so many offenses around the league now run a mix of stuff. You know, when he was coming out, I remember writing the piece where I went through the route tree, throw by throw, route by route, and said, look, if I just want one guy to throw this route, this is the guy I want. For Jacoby Brissett, I had him picked to throw the slant route. It's one of the things I think he did very well at NC State mm-hmm. through his days with New England to his days in Indianapolis. And so he's going to be able to step into an offense that, for the most part, is geared to what he does well anyway. Sort of the, like you said, the mix of air raid, West Coast, spread type concept. So it's going to be a good schematic fit for him. Now, the question is going to be, can he get faster with reads and decisions? Because this has always been a thing that's sort of hurt him. It's a double-edged sword that will it is to stay in the pocket and make a hit because sometimes it will pay off, but other times you're just going to end up getting yourself sacked and getting your team behind the sticks. And so he needs to sort of get the ball out of his hands quicker. In this offense, he will kind of be forced to do that in a sense. He does have the ability to put the ball downfield in the vertical passing game as well. So I think 
Colts fans will see, yes, a drop-off from Andrew Luck to Jacoby Brissett, but the scheme is a fit for him, and that's going to help this transition as he takes over yet again as a starting quarterback. Right. I mean, I'm immediately reminded of a quarterback who had god-awful pocket presence and pocket ability who was able to survive in a Frank Reich offense because of how quickly the ball was distributed, and that quarterback's name was Nick Foles. Not yeah. Brissett and Foles aren't similar players, but in terms of really wonky pocket management at times uh you know Foles famously could not help but backpedal at the face of pressure for Brissett it's more of a kind of hang and take a hit sort of a situation but both really struggled to manage the pocket and so if you can't improve the skill hide the deficiency and that's a case where that time to throw for uh for for Nick Foles was about I believe uh, about 0.15 second quicker uh in the 2017 season with Frank Reich there and then of course in 2018 Foles led the league in in terms of the fastest time to throw Reich already gone but the system remains the same under Doug Peterson they needed to get the ball out of Foles hands quickly I think that's the same thing you have to do with Jacoby Brissett I want to ask in terms of a lot of new weapons here on on the Indianapolis Colts you've added Devin Funches in free agency and of course drafted Paris Campbell you've added Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines revamping the uh the running back room and we know that Eric Ebron is the big draw at tight end. Who on this offense now matters the most? Maybe maybe sees not their stock increase, not from like a fantasy perspective, but now that Brissett's there, you know, we know how the relationship Luck had with Ebron in, in the red zone. We know the relationship Luck's developed with T.Y. Hilton now over the course of, of six, seven seasons. With Brissett in there, who on, as, of the offensive skill position players do you look at and you say, with the way the offense is going to change, this player becomes critical? Yeah, I mean, I think you sort of have to start with a tight end position because we saw last year Frank Reich, the way that he was structuring his offense, they did a lot with multiple tight end sets, whether it's two, whether it's 13 personnel at times. They were doing a lot sort of even in the vertical passing game, but doing it out of 12 and 13 personnel. And so you would get it to go up against base packages. They had to throw... Um, a four verticals concept against the Jacksonville Jaguars where they were doing it out of 13 personnel and they got a situation where you had Jalen Ramsey play in the middle of the field free safety and basically mm-hmm. like cover three scheme because they had to check to a base cover three and then they ran four verticals at him. He didn't know who to cover. So I think the tight ends are going to be a big component because you'd expect them you know, playing the backup quarterback. They might want to establish the run or whatever. So you might see a lot of base personnel establish out. Establish the run or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. But you're going to do that, but throw out of 12, throw out of 13. So I think Eric Ebron gets a bump here. I think Jack Doyle is going to get a bump. I've always kind of liked Jack Doyle. You might see a lot of 12 personnel looks with, say, Hilton and Funches, with Hilton basically serving at times as the guy to take the top off of defense. Funches perhaps working underneath and the tight ends. And so I would look to the tight ends. I think they're going to be used a ton with Jacoby Brissett playing in this offense. Regular listeners will know that I at no point think that more 12 personnel is a bad idea. The limit does not exist. Uh, Mark, I will ask, right now, you know, we have... Uh, a couple quarterback rooms with multiple people in them. Washington's got Colt McCoy, Dwayne Haskins, and, and Case Keenum. In Tennessee, you have Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill. In Miami, you have Josh Rosen, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Is there a move that the Colts could reasonably make in terms of current NFL quarterbacks that you think makes sense for their winning window? That would be a, a significant improvement over Jacoby Brissett, or do you think we're flying with Brissett for 16 games? I think if you're Indy, you're flying with Brissett. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you what are you going to you trade for Colt McCoy? I don't think he's a huge upgrade. I mean, maybe you could pry Tannehill away, but I doubt that A, you know, Tennessee's going to trade him in division, and B, we don't know about this Marcus Mariota situation. There are rumblings that he's on a very short leash. It's you know, been Tannehill. called a QB competition in camp, which to me which is, is woo, 
seems a bit rich for my blood. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, Tannehill looks good against the threes and the fours and maybe yeah. twos at times. Well, we're all waiting for that day where Mark, or at least some of us who died on Marcus Mariota Hill back in 2015. Hello. You know, we're waiting for that day that Mariota puts it together. Now with Winston getting to play for Arians, maybe it's Winston that finally takes the lead in that little quarterback competition. So I, I think if you look around these quarterback rooms, let's face it, when Nick Sudfeld went down, what did the Eagles do? They grabbed Josh McCown. And so you look around the backup spots, the backup rooms, guys in the league, probably better off rolling with Brissett. Now there's a guy that's out of the league that's a whole another situation that probably should be in the league. We don't need to go down that road right now. But let's just say that he might be an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Bring him back. Right. And I, I agree with you. The only thing that I've been floating, which has absolutely no legs to it whatsoever it's just what i want to see is i want to see cincinnati embrace the fact that they need to rebuild and trade andy dalton and i want andy dalton to go to indianapolis to me that makes sense but that would you know that's conditional on cincinnati wanting to do poorly which as we know nfl teams are not good at uh i'm going to say we're going to go to break hopefully we do because i'm not mike so i don't even know how this works um but we're going to put a little bit of pause right here mike's gonna do whatever he wants to do with it and then a little bit of college quarterback talk now that we've had week zero to wrap things up support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team now more than ever educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Mark Cole McDonald. Four touchdowns, 400 yards, and benched. If you don't know, I'm talking about the quarterback (laughs) out of Hawaii who plays for the Nick Rolovich run-and-shoot offense, who is simply one of the most fascinating football things to watch, to examine, to be interested in. If you want to get into college football, I would recommend catching Hawaii games because they're a pretty good microcosm of how this very odd organization works. Uh, uh, Cole McDonald, the most interesting NFL draft relevant quarterback who likely played last week. We'll we'll touch a little bit on uh, uh, Felipe Franks and on Khalil Tate as well. McDonald, like I said, throws four touchdowns, 400 yards against the Arizona Wildcats. That's that's a power five opponent and yet still is able to get benched after throwing, I believe, four interceptions as well. Cole McDonald is... Is he a legit NFL prospect? What did we learn from him in his first game back from injury now in 2019? I mean, I, I think we were reminded of the roller coaster that the Cole McDonald experience can be at times mm-hmm. because there were throws he made in that game. And Derek Lawson wrote a piece for Rotor World today. He's going to be doing some work for them. And he broke this down pretty well because he broke down McDonald. There were some throws in that game where you were like, this guy's a legit like first round prospect. Like 
Seriously, like this is an NFL type throw. Right. There were some throws that he made that if my eight-year-old son did that when we were in the backyard playing around, I'd be like, you just can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> or he even wouldn't do that because he would know better than to sprint to your right and throw, try to throw the left flat, mm-hmm. which is kind of what it looked like Cole McDonald was doing. And so it's a full-on roller coaster. And you know, we were just sort of talking about leashes and things like that and guys being on perhaps a hot seat. He's on a hot seat, I think. Yeah. Because the backup behind him can play, you know, and he played pretty well when McDonald was out with his injury last year that caused him to like have one of his testicles swell up to the size of a grapefruit or something ridiculous. Like he was pretty banned up last year. The backup can play. He played well behind Cole McDonald. You have to know that he's on a leash. Those of us who were helping to drive that Cole McDonald train, I admit I was one, are hoping that this is a Benching and experience that he learns from, and we see more of the guy that can throw dimes in the vertical passing game, but he has both the mechanical flaws as well as the sort of head scratching throws and errors that we saw. He could end up a guy that like we talked about, one of those guys that we talk about, like who is that Cincinnati quarterback a couple of years ago where people were like, this guy's got like first round buzz potential and that he just didn't even make it near the NFL. He's the guy that transferred from Notre Dame. I'm blanking on his name. But, you know, Cole McDonald could go that route where we're like, we spent a summer talking about him and thinking that he's a player. And if he can't figure this stuff out, it's not going to happen for him. Was it Brendan Kay? Yeah, it was probably before your time. It was like 2014, 2015. I remember people saying like, oh, he's going to get some, he's made some first round throws and that just never happened. Right. Okay, so I have I have a take on McDonald, which is like it's just like a way. Is it Gunner Keel? Yes, Gunner Keel. Gunner yeah, Keel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the I was I'm old enough to remember the Gunner Keel first Gunner round take. Gunner Keel. Takes. Yeah, no, the name's familiar. Let me. Uh, so I, I have like a take, like a framework on McDonald, which is not fully sussed out, but I want right. to you know float on the open and see what you think about it. McDonald is what Patrick Mahomes detractors thought Patrick Mahomes was. Like, when people who hated Mahomes, who thought there was no chance he was going to fit in the league, talked about Mahomes, it was, okay, sure, he's got arm talent, but he's absolutely wild, and he has no idea what he's looking at, and he's completely unbridled, which, that wasn't entirely untrue about Mahomes at Texas Tech, but there was a lot more of a exception, just playing like an exception, than there was a, a, a player completely, like I said, unbridled and out of control. You said, like, you know, you hope McDonald learns from his benching. McDonald plays unaware of his own mortality, right? Like, right. he just plays like there's no tomorrow. Like, he will he plays like there's a tomorrow no matter what. Like, he will always get back on the field. There'll always be another drive. He'll always throw another touchdown. So he, who cares what happens on this drive, right? It's just completely, like, nonchalant. And then, accordingly, you see him attempt insane throws, make very ill-advised decisions, try to extend plays he shouldn't extend, so on and so forth. And also, you know, the argument of he can't uh, read the field, that was the same argument that Mahomes got, where, you know, with McDonald on the run and shoot, he's reading one guy and making him wrong. Mahomes was just very, very good pre-snap at deciding what he was going to do and then had the arm talent to succeed at it. Where the analogy fails is, number one, I don't think anybody attacked Mahomes' accuracy as well as we probably can McDonald. Like, McDonald's accuracy is completely just, like, up in the air. Whereas, I don't think anybody thought Mahomes was, you know, an inaccurate passer. There's inconsistency there. And then, number two, I think the mechanical issues are different in terms of Mahomes' release couldn't have been more natural, even if it didn't look, like, perfect. He clearly had great biomechanics whereas mcdonald throws like he's like you know throwing a hula hoop right it's like a right. big circle so there's, there's some differences there but i think that mcdonald is a lot like is, is is emblematic 
of the issues that people have with Mahomes coming out in terms of just the the play style being so opposite, so black and white to what we expect for the play style of NFL quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I think, Ben, the analogy is a really good one in the sense that the play style, the people that didn't trust Mahomes and thought that he could never work in the NFL, they were seeing Cole McDonald in a sense, like you Right, said. yeah. You know, what's what's interesting, you bring up the mechanical side, and, you know, I often say mechanics don't matter until they matter, and Patrick Mahomes was the reason I started saying that because mm-hmm. so many people said you look at his mechanics and he's never going to work in the nfl the throw in motion is too unorthodox he's never going to be able to be an accurate quarterback and i just kept saying he puts the ball where he wants to like i don't care if he throws it behind his back between his legs if he puts the ball where he wants to when it needs to get there i don't care what the mechanics look like but they matter when that doesn't happen with mcdonald it doesn't happen all the time and sometimes it's because of the mechanics the loop, like you said the footwork that's all over the place the inability to get enough torque on it which will lead to a dip in velocity and while cole mcdonald has a sufficient arm it's not patrick mahomes's arm and so when mahomes is sometimes doing unorthodox things he still gets the ball there in a split second whereas mcdonald doesn't and so it interrupts timing as well and so this is a cavalcade of issues that he has to work through now. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. And I might have to delete some tweets as a result. Yeah, you hate to see it. You hate to, you see, hate it. to see it. We'll yeah. have to yeah. make sure we, we comb through Bryce Rossler's timeline and get some screenshots before he makes the same Oh, move. we all save the screenies. But it's hard to take an L in week zero of the college football season. Right. But here we are. And our buddy Michael put together the Rick and Morty video, which was... Pretty fantastic. If you haven't seen it, check out Michael's timeline. But it's how a lot of us felt waking up Sunday morning. Right. And then also, you know, hit me up and explain it. Because as with yeah. most Rick and Morty references, I don't know what's going on. Um, Like I said, McDonald, the interesting one. Khalil Tate out of Arizona. Up and down yet again. Yep. Accuracy to the short areas, like behind the line of scrimmage short areas, remains just perplexingly poor. Considering yep. some of the throws he's actually able to make down the field. Don't know if it's a mechanical issue. It reminds me at times of what Lamar Jackson would do where he would just short the easiest throws for no reason whatsoever. There's kind of like a an indifference, like a casualness that, that it kind of occurs there that just makes these throws so much harder than they need to be. And so Tate remains maddeningly inconsistent as a passer. Felipe Franks out of Florida, another guy that NFL draft heads are looking for growth, kind of the same way they were with McDonald. Body, frame, arm strength, all exciting. Franks does not know what he's looking at a lot and accordingly just makes as was as was shown in the uh, Miami game some of the worst interceptions you're gonna see from a guy who's got NFL draft buzz either of these players are you know like like, I don't want want to ask what they need to do because it's very clear or either these guys like you know they they have legit NFL draft hopes are these just the late round guys we're talking about because we talk about late round guys I think it's the late round guys that Mm -hmm. we're talking about because this is what we do because we have the sickness because I, I don't see you know, in terms of what they could do, they've got a long way to go. I, I mean, and it's inconsistency to, you know, like you said, when you're sometimes turf and swing routes, like you got a yeah. problem. You can't see guys that are standing in front of you and you throw to them and they're wearing a different color jersey. Like you got a problem. And mm-hmm. this is some of what we're seeing with these two guys. You look at the way that Arizona Hawaii game ended, decided to take off the way Tate did. I, interesting decision. I mean, I guess that's what he was trying to do. So, yeah, I, I think these are the guys that when we get into like late Saturday of the next draft, whenever they decide to come out, like we're going to be like, oh, whoa, interesting. That guy got drafted. All right. That's yeah. cool. Which but, like, you know, Tate's an interesting wide receiver. Felipe Fanks is an interesting tight end. 
You know, Jay, kind of. I mean, Franks got drafted by the Red Sox. I right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's, you know, he's at least got that fallback plan. And yeah, like you said, maybe Tate is the guy that some people thought Lamar Jackson was in terms of a position switch. Not mentioning any names there, but I'm just saying. No, for sure. It's, it's, they'll be fun players to track. And as you said, week zero is far from a condemnation. We have ourselves 11 more games and a bowl game to look at. Players have grown in the season before. There's no, uh, there's yeah. no way we have to write off these guys, but you like to see growth across the course of the offseason. And for all three of these guys, you know, you're kind of still looking at very similar products to what we've seen in previous years. Mark, how'd I do? My imitation of Mike, sufficient, acceptable? I, I think more than sufficient. You're you're probably right now a day two prospect with potential to move wow. up into that late first round. So I, th- I think you should be proud of the effort you put in today, young Benjamin. I appreciate it, though I'm sure Mike will come back, and uh, you'll have to re- you'll you'll receive a little bit of comeuppance for that comment. And of course, I know I will. Yeah, we know, and he'll he'll go back to hosting the shows. As of course, Mike, you do so well. We're so proud of you, buddy. Uh, that was QB Sco Show episode 30. Benjamin Solak stepping in for Michael Kiss. I feel like in uh, like in Parks and Rec, where it's like Dewey Merville who's filling right. in for like you know da da da. Who's filling yeah. in for Dewey Merville? Um, but either way, so filling in for Michael Kiss. He is Mark Schofield of the QB Sco Show, QB One in all of our hearts. Thank you, as always, for listening to BGN Radio and all of our podcasts here on the network. Exciting things in the works for BGN Radio. Make sure you're also listening to Pat's Pulpit, which, of course, boasts of the inimitable Mark Schofield now that he has officially joined the SB Nation podcast family. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcasts, iTunes really being the only one that counts. But if you want to scream into the void, scream into the void. I am Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's Mark Schofield on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. That's S-C- H-O-F-I-E-L-D. Thanks for listening. B-G-N.